Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Joel Whipperforth, Director of Digital Transformation for Winfield United. And I'm Corey Evans, Technical Seed Manager for Winfield United. Today on the podcast, we're going to take a look at weed management in soybeans, which isn't as easy as it used to be, and discuss the benefits and limitations of several herbicide trait platforms. Corey, it's not just a roundup world anymore. It's a little different, Joel. But different is good. All right. So talk to me about it. What are some of the things? Where do we start with this decision? I'm a flowchart guy, Joel. So we're going to stick with the, the mental map and my flowchart that's that's sticking in my mind. Right? And, and I'm going to maybe give out my age here, but I was born in 1992. <laughs> Don't do the math. <laughs> <laughs> 1996 was really the advent of Roundup getting introduced into our crops as a, as a trait. And really for 20 years after that, we focused on Roundup-ready soybeans. And now there's a lot of confusion, right? There's a lot more traits. There's a lot more tools in the toolbox. But there's a lot more things to consider of maybe it's not just the trait we have to look at. We also have to look at genetics in the same view of that. So here's where I start, Joel. You can close your eyes if you want to. Okay, I'm, I'm envisioning <clears throat> I, this. I want you to imagine your soybean field in 2020, okay? Okay. What's the most limiting factor in that field to achieving a, a appropriate yield? Well, my field was fine, but I could see in my neighbor's field, his limiting factor was the water hem standing 25 inches above the soybeans during flowering. So you're saying weed control might be a challenge. Yep. Yeah, because I don't have any fields that have any weed control no, problems. No, Joel, but you, you got it perfect. Definitely yeah, my neighbor does. I wouldn't expect anything else. Right. So if the biggest limiting factor to your farm is trying to kill weeds, I think the conversation can turn to what's the appropriate herbicide trait, right? Whether that's Enlist, whether that's Roundup Ready, whether that's Extend, all these different options. I think that gives you an opportunity to really focus on traits and herbicides and timing what makes sense for your farm. Yeah, but Corey, I, I mean, I, I want a high-yielding soybean variety. Oh, so you want both. Yes. So there's another conversation. Think of when you buy a bean, you're really buying two things. You're buying genetics and you're buying a trait. So Joel, if your answer to that question was not weeds was your limiting factor, and you told me that you just wanted to chase yield or you had a problem with iron deficiency corrosis or you had a problem with white mold, I would have maybe moved my flow chart down a different route and really focused on the genetic portion first. Does the product have the right agronomic characteristics that I need, whether it's, you know, standability, SDS tolerance, white mold tolerance. But I think understanding what the limiting factor is really helps you start deciding, okay, should I focus on genetics first or should I focus on trait first? Okay, so I get if weeds are a limiting factor, but the Anthroplots tested some of these trait systems out there. What was some of the differences in between the trait platforms? Is there a particular trait platform that has more advanced genetics or genetics that are, are outpacing on yield? If you think of what we're planting today, commercial fields in 2019 had a flavor of Roundup, had a flavor of Liberty, LLGT27, Extend, and then some Enlist. And when I think of the Roundup Ready acres, for example, the reason we still have Roundup Ready products in the crop line lineup, for example, is because they fill a need. 
products that we have are really good on certain agronomic characteristics and they have great yield potential. So even though they don't offer a tool like spraying dicamba over it or Liberty over it, they still have really high yield potential that's exciting and incentivizing growers to stay with that trait. When you look at extend versus enlist, in our data comparisons in our answer plots, we learned that strictly just looking at all-out average yield, they were within the same LSD. So from a yield potential perspective, not looking at anything else, they're about equal. Now, when you start to dissect that a little more of, okay, did one perform better on different spots than others, you could really start teasing it out. So when I looked at all the data that came in this year, whether it's extend or enlist, you could start to see some trends. And being the data guy that I am, I ran things like standard deviations to really explain variance. Because here's what I was seeing, Joel. I would see extend come across our, our yield data and basically it was performing the way I expected it to. Our current extend lineup is in the lineup for a reason, right? It's proven, it's tested, it's got the agronomic traits that was needed. Right. It's been in our lineup for a reason. When I saw enlist products come across, I didn't get a perfect trend line example of where do they really fit. Sometimes they'd be at the top, sometimes they'd be at the bottom, and sometimes they'd be average. So it wasn't a you know, completely easy decision of sorting it out in my mind. What I did was look at standard deviations of the enlist trait versus the extend trait, and what I found was a higher standard deviation across relative maturities on enlist versus extends, which really said the enlist lineup that we had this year with our brand and our, our partner brands that were offering it had more variance around the mean than extended, which kind of makes sense, right? Extend has been in our lineup. It's proven. It's got the agronomic characteristics spin. Enlist last year was a, a first-year product getting planted. We really didn't know a lot about agronomic characteristics or yield potential. And so it doesn't surprise me that we saw more variance in enlist versus extend. Yeah, so there's good options in both. And it sounds like one of them has a, a, a broader portfolio because they've been in the market longer. Yeah, absolutely. And if you take that a step further and look at, you know, white mold or phytophthora or IDC, you could start to see separation of, of overall extend average versus enlist average, meaning we have a few extend products that are really, really good on IDC and they stay in our lineup because they're really good on IDC or white mold or whatever that agronomic challenge is. Enlist just requires some more screens to figure out, okay, if I want to stay in list, does it have the IDC tolerance that I really need? And because it's not very mature, it's it's a new product in our lineup, it takes a few years to really figure out what those agronomic holes are and their strengths. So there's just a few more unknowns around that trait. So I want to flip back to, you mentioned 1992 you were born. Even prior to that, I, I was talking with a mentor of mine, and he happened to, to farm in, in uh, western Minnesota. And uh, he really talked about when he was coming out of college, that land values could be heavily influenced by the weed pressure that you had. And particularly if you had weed pressure that was resistant to certain chemistries, that if you had a field that had ALS resistance or a field that really no herbicides could touch, it was actually going to impact the value of your land. To the point, and the, one of the stories that he always told me was, if you had a weed like Eastern Black Nightshade, Black Nightshade plant it gets those little berries on them, and those little berries rolling through the sieves on a combine would plug them up, and then the beans would roll out the back. 
that was a farm that could lose significant land value. Do you think that it's that all over again? Because, you know, 1996 came out, good farmer, bad farmer, everybody could kill weeds. And, you know, land values became fairly production-oriented. Do you think that we'll ever go back to a day where weed pressures dictate the value of land? And it's hypothetical, so I, I won't throw this back on you 10 years from now. Yeah, I think of the difference between me growing up and being born in 1992 versus my brother being born in 1985. The biggest difference in those seven years is he had to walk beans and I didn't, right? I had to pick rocks, which you know could be considered that. And I look at that 20-year span was focused strictly on productivity because weeds weren't the limiting factor. If you look at any university research data today of how do you build strong corn yields or strong soybean yields, the prerequisite for yield is drainage, it's fertility, and it's weed control. I think as growers approach investing in a, a new farm or looking at renting farm, you know most people can understand yield potential. Most of them have tile maps that know what the, the drainage is or if there's you know a higher investment for drainage as we control gets more and more challenging as it gets more expensive to control i think that's another component in a grower's flow chart of decision making to go what's this land value worth i don't know if we can quantify that today but i think growers have in their own mind as they're driving down the county roads in the summer of you know, that field's got a lot of pressure and this one doesn't. If you had to make the decision between the two, all else being equal, I think growers know how much they're spending on herbicide costs and can put that back to land value. Maybe someday instead of a, a crop productivity index, we have something like how big is the weed bank? And that might change growers' decision-making on, on what's the investment worth. Totally so, hypothetical. Though. Yeah, totally hypothetical. I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Let's turn that around to, okay, so there's herbicide options out here. Certainly, the chemistries that we've used in the past have been fairly simple, but now these new chemistries come with additional regulations, additional opportunities for better control, sometimes for worse control, depending on what the environmental conditions are. Do you have any recommendations to help ensure success? And I know you this winter are doing a lot of clinics out there with growers and with retailers talking about a number of different topics, anything from the management of hybrids to specifically a spray clinic. What things should we do to ensure success for the coming year? So at a clinic, you might experience a conversation around optimizing the journey of the droplet. And that gets really focused on how could you use a product like Interlocked to reduce drift on a, a dicamba application. But I think it's more broad than that. If you're going to ensure success on a weed management program, it's still back to the basics, Joel, right? Every good weed management program should start with a pre-emergent herbicide. How do you minimize the amount of seeds that escape that pre-emergent? I go back to a water hemp. You brought it up. Think of how many growing points a water hemp has that's unemerged. It's one, right? That, that's just one. If you have a four-inch water hemp, you probably have somewhere between seven to 12 growing points. And when you have a six-inch water hemp, you have over 30 growing points. So what's the easiest way to kill a weed? Get it before it even emerges. What I think of you know, these new technologies that, that are coming out, it really helps us optimize that 
post-emergent application to knock down those weeds once they get through a pre-emergent or we lose residual because it's later in the season. So really, it starts with a a pre-emergent herbicide, getting a strong base, and then using the new traits, whether it's uh, a dicamba or a 2,4-D or a Liberty Link application to optimize that herbicide pass in season to kill the weeds that are emerged. Some of those products have characteristics that make them systemic, so you don't have to be as worried about covering the weed. You can use different uh, tips and different water volumes. One of those might have a, a stronger soil residual versus Liberty being focused strictly on contact chemistry, covering that weed, making sure that we get the active ingredient to all the growing points to ensure success. That message seems like it's a place where, you know, ag retailers have a, a good play in understanding what's going on locally in the geography and how they can work with farmers to make sure that there's success there. So contact your local ag retailer to help sort through some of those pieces for you in your operation, I think is, is one of the key takeaways I heard out of that. Is there any other pieces to ensure success as we go into the 2020 soybean management season? Just as much complexity as there is around choosing the right trait, is once you choose the right trait, now you have to optimize your spray application. And that encompasses tips, nozzles, pressure, water volume, DRAs, adjuvants, the list goes on and on. And it's a really complex system. I think, you know, attending something like a Winfield United clinic would help provide some context just to start sorting through some of those questions to figure out, okay, I'm on... A or B or C trait program, what makes sense for my farm to really minimize all these different moving parts? Because if you're going to just jump into it in June when, you know, you just got planted, you're trying to do all these other things, now you got to spray weeds, having a little preparation and a plan getting there, I think will help reduce some stress when it finally is go time. Yeah, I think that's a great plan. Come on in and see all the data we've got on that. You've been listening to the Deal with Yield podcast. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com. 